Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. <laughs> Already there's some good energy in the room right here, right now. I'm very excited for this episode. Uh, this man is somebody I've toured with and had the pleasure of knowing for many years. Uh, most recently saw him and his band out in France when I was out in Hellfest. I said this to him after watching them. They were probably the band of the weekend for me in terms of the show, the kind of the level of entertainment that they put on every time. It's second to none. Uh, the crowd for them was massive. Uh, and they're just one of the best party bands in the world. Um, so, Jesse, let's just jump straight into this. I'm looking forward to introducing the pair of you, two of my favorite people. I'm, I'm imagining you've played festivals all over the world together, but it'll be interesting to see if the paths have actually crossed at any point. But yeah, uh, ladies and gentlemen, please join us in welcoming onto the show the one and only Michael Starr from Steel Panther. Come on down, dude. All right. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? Nice to see you guys. <laughs> yeah, officially officially meet fun. you now. Yeah, it's nice to be met formally. Yes. Because, I mean, apparently we were talking earlier before that intro that you were on the side of the stage at the festival drunk. And yeah. so we both don't remember each other. So that's weird. Yeah, I want to say it was in, I think it was Kansas City. It's hard to remember. We were finished doing press. Yeah. Um, and we were in one of those little golf carts. And I saw you guys come on. I was like, dude, I just jumped off the cart with my drink in my hand and rode side stage and just hung out and had a blast it was it was awesome That's cool but i have to say this man right up what? front sheer talent you guys play amazing your shredders your great talent so as much as it's a it's a party band it's fun it's jokey you guys rip you're a really good band as well so Thanks. i think you know, thank you for that and i really feel like that's been one of the i don't know i think that people are attracted to the, the fact that you know we're not just up there hacking it on our instruments and singing with auto-tune and shit you know we actually it's important to us to be well crafted in each of our specific roles you know satchel's probably i don't know in my opinion one of the new guitar heroes of of this decade for sure you know and even the last decade i mean he's fat he's faster than fucking mick mars for sure so that's cool well that i mean you guys just have the story which we'll get into uh you guys have been at this for a long time before people knew who you were and i love i've done a little research but i don't like to overdo it because i want to hear it from you but it, it's an interesting story man and you guys definitely put your work in for sure you paid your dues like a motherfucker yeah dues are something that you know people talk about lucky bands or you know out of nowhere they just came out out of nowhere and it's it's really not like that for bands i mean mm -hmm. at least in my experience it's been 
you know, doing the, the shitty gigs in the band, driving and not getting paid and all that stuff, doing three sets a night, being a cover band for over, God, man, 13 years we played covers. You know, every like three or four times a week we would do shows. And so we paid our dues, man. You know, we mm -hmm. paid our dues and we honed our craft in front of college kids in San Diego and Vegas and, you know, in Hollywood. Hollywood's really difficult to perform for because, you know, they, they there's so much entertainment in Hollywood. So whenever you get an audience in Hollywood, it's like this at first. Of course. All right, what's up, man? Everyone's trying to hook up or get a connection or, you know, there's a bunch of uh, smoozing going on and all that shit. And it, it's hard. So it really helped us to really, like when we went out and opened up for Judas Priest, we were getting shit thrown at us, like literally. And, you know, we were able to draw back from that experience of playing in Hollywood, you know, tough crowds. What do you got to do? You have to win them over, make them laugh and fucking rock their balls off. And so that's that's been our mantra is actually to bring heavy metal back. I mean, that was a that was the epicenter of Steel Panther. Mm, I love it. Respect, man. Respect. I'd Thanks. say you're doing it as well, dude, from the size of the crowd you guys had at Hellfest. And, and what struck me when you were playing which is what I'd love to get into today because, you know, Steel Panther are one of these bands where it's sometimes hard to decipher where the, the myth ends and the reality starts, you know, and that's been by design, I think. But what I really noticed and what was hammered home to me watching you that day at Hellfest after having toured with you a few years back as well and seeing what Jesse said there, how hard you work, how well you play, I'd love to just trace the story of this band and, and go from the inception of it, from the initial idea to where you are now, just one of these kind of world-class, you know, respected, revered, well-loved, well-adored, you know, festival giants. Like when it comes to the summer festival season, you guys are right up there with the most sought after and, you know, like you're top of everybody's festival lists, basically. And um, that's really, that's really such an accomplishment for us. I mean, we felt it on this trip to Europe and it felt really good. You know, and, you know, it's been so long, you know, everyone has dealt with the pandemic and not performing. But man, I didn't realize how much I missed it till we were on stage in front of people. It's like, this is what I'm built to do. You know, it's cool being home. I love my family and I love being home and it's it's amazing. But enough's enough. It's time <laughs> to go. Rock, you know, uh, you're talking about the beginning of this band. Oh, one thing you were talking about, too, I want to just mention really quick, you know, uh, what where the line is how it gets blurred. The problem is we don't even know, you know, because what we're doing is really just, this is who we are as human beings. And you've been around us long enough to know that what we talk, what we're talking about is it either happened or it's going to happen, or it's still going on as we speak right now. You know what I mean? It's just, th this is just an extension of who we are as human beings. So I think that's another Thing that people are attracted to because it's organic it's real it's not fake it's not we're not making this shit up this is stuff that we've done so uh that's cool and you know when we first got together you know i've, I've known satchel for longer than i've known anybody else in the band and him and i like tried to write songs together early on and uh i think death all the metal death to all but metal was a song that uh satchel was working on when we first got together and uh and then we kind of just kind of splintered off. You know, I went on and played with LA Guns for a while. And then I also was in a Van Halen tribute band for a while. And, uh, but we Atomic always- Atomic Punks, right? Was that the name of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, 
you know, we, we still tried to, to work together. And then we ended up, he ended up being in the Atomic Punks. And then we started really working on uh, finishing up what he had started years ago with Death Album Metal. And then we recorded Fat Girl. Uh, <laughs> I was actually living with Satchel when we recorded that song. And uh, we recorded Fat Girl there. We recorded uh, the song called Big Boobs, Hell's on Fire, Stripper Girl. I mean, that first, there's a first record out there for all you people who don't know. It's called Hole Patrol. It came out in 2004. And uh, Death Album Metal was on that. And Death Album Metal was written in like 85, you know, that long ago. That's how long I've known Satchel. And um, so we recorded that record and we used to just pass it out at our weekly cover show, cover band shows. Like, hey, we, we did our own record and we would just pass them out to people because no one would buy them. So we just got them. And then after the show, there'd be a bunch of discs on the ground and shit. And, uh, but, you know, that, we that's all know it. that feeling. It's crushing, isn't it? Here's my new podcast. Check it out. It's just littered all over the floor by the end of the day. Yeah, night. totally. It, it felt like, <laughs> man, how are we going to get these people? So, you know, what we started doing, we did the cardinal sin of cover bands. We started adding our own original music to our shows and we started playing Fat Girl. And uh, that was really difficult for me. Like Satchel's all fuck. Don't worry about it. Just sing it, man. I'm like, oh god, dude. I I just feel bad. I, I remember the first time we sang it. There was like a chubby girl in the front row, and and I started singing. I I couldn't look at her because I just felt kind of bad about it. But then I looked at her, and she was em embraced the lyrics as an anthem for herself to raise herself up. And I was like, damn, this is cool. And then you know, all the fat chicks started singing it. It was just pretty well, amazing. I want to hone in on that for a second because seeing you sing Weenie Ride at Hellfest to a girl that you got on the stage, you know, if you took a certain type of a feminist to a Steel Panther show, they might initially come in on the attack and think these guys are misogynist, they're disrespectful. But there's a strong argument that can be made because it's very grounded in fact and reality that, as you say, these types of songs that you do, the women aren't the butt of the jokes, they're in on the joke. And not only are they in on the joke, but they actually love it. And this girl that you had along um, on stage for Weenie Ride, she was singing every word, she was having the best time of her life. And what I noticed, because I spot these things, is you would whisper in her ear every now and again to check that she was okay and that she was comfortable. And I really saw that you were going above and beyond to ensure that she felt, you know, comfortable and at ease and i noticed yeah. that and i've always known that about you and jesse said in the lead up to this chat he's like you know i've been watching a few interviews with michael Ian, and he just seems like a really sweet guy and that just comes across like it's evident that you're a good guy and you have a good heart well i appreciate you saying that jesse and you too matt uh yeah i like to ask because i want to first of all i have to make sure they're of legal age to be on stage <laughs> yeah i mean seriously because this yeah. is this is an issue we've been running into like we'll get girls up and six will go he has a mic in the behind his kit, right? And it's in my ear, in ear, and he'll say, "How old is she?" I'm like, oh, man, she's so hot. Who gives a shit, right? So, <laughs> hey, how old are you? <laughs> you know, and it, it it's up to them. If they lie, it's out of our hands, right? So, but and also too, when you're asking a girl to show her boobs, uh, some girls feel pressured to do it because they're in front of everybody. They're in that moment, and they feel like they have to do it. So I just want to make sure that, you know, they're comfortable with being up there because I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. Yeah. I want them to be stoked to be up there. And I'll tell you, man, I've never heard one girl go, oh, this, I can't be here. 
they're like totally i'm fine i love it yeah you know so it's cool it's funny uh you know as much as my band is is different than yours there's aspects of it that are fairly similar uh because of our guitar player adam d who's the jokester and we we get the you know people flashing and partying and because adam very much brings that energy to the stage and you know what i think there's an entertainment aspect of this type i mean metal in general look you can wear coarse paint and be evil and stoic that's still part of the entertainment value of it. And I think that it's important to note that we are entertainers at the end of the day. You know, I might have heartfelt messages and I talk about mental health and there's all that is there. But, you know, you got a crowd of people drinking beer and they're, they've they been working all week and they just want to have fun. So it's okay to, like, have fun with it and take the piss, yeah. like the British say. Well, isn't as long, that what as, you said, though, as long as people are comfortable, who gives a shit, right? Yes, yeah, here, dude. I, I agree with you. It's like... People do work, you know, most of the people in the world have a job or mm. they have parents supporting them, which are cool too. But the bottom line is they're there to have a good time man, have fun. I miss that in music, you know? Mm. I was raised with Van Halen. That was the most exciting band to me as a kid. You know, I went, saw Van Halen, fair warning tour, LA sports arena, I was like 15 or something. I remember walking in there and everybody was stoked to be there. They came on, they were funny. They were amazing at their craft. They had killer songs and everybody loved it. It was a fucking party. And that's what I like to do. I like to be a part of a party, mm. make people escape whatever they're going through, you know, just come to the show. It's like when you go see a really good movie, you don't think about, Oh, when's this movie going to end? If it's killer, you know, you're just, you're in it and it's over. And then you're like, Oh, it was a great movie. That's what it should be like when you go see a band, in my opinion. It should be take you away from whatever's going on in your mind, put you in that moment, and have you enjoy yourself and yeah. let go of some whatever stress you got going on. Also, at the top of this, I, I have to say, I think the generation we live in now, you know, like comedians, for example, straight up stand up comedians get in trouble for like making certain types of jokes. And on the whole, if you're going to a Steel Panther show, you should probably know what you're getting into, you know, same thing. Yeah. If you can see a stand-up comedy guy who does this type of a bit, you know, people, I feel like people sometimes go wanting to get upset about something. And at the end of the yeah. day, just know what you're going in for and, and try to have a good time, man, lighten up a little bit. <laughs> and the cool thing, you know, the cool thing about going to a concert, if you walk in and you're hearing something that you're not digging, it's really easy to just turn around and go out the door. It's not, yeah. it's not really like, you're not forced to stand there. So if it's offending you or it bothers you, you know what I do? I just leave. Like, let's say if I was waiting in the bank, right? I only had a certain amount of time and I had to get back for this interview, right? So I could either stay there, be late for the interview or turn around and leave. So I turn around and left. It's pretty simple. Anybody can figure that shit out. If you don't like, you know, meat, don't eat it. Yeah. But if you do, come to our show. <laughs> dude if you had many instances of people you know either reaching out to you online or telling you in person that they came to a show maybe expecting to hate it or they came to a show and were initially a little bit out put out but then actually they stayed they stuck it out and by the end they were like a converted fan because you put on such a good show have you had a lot of that like perhaps girlfriends of guys who love the band or vice versa like people That's who would so... people were dragged there and then they're like fuck i i don't want to like these guys but they just they're undeniably brilliant yeah. and, I, and mean, I can dude i can spot them in the audience right away because they're standing there like this <clears throat> you know that kind of thing 
It's pretty easy. And yes, it does happen a lot. And another thing that happens too is I talk to people after the show, you know, we usually do like the meet and greet party after the show. And, and, you know, this time on Europe, there was a lot of younger people who are like, this is my first concert. You're the first band I've ever seen in a concert. Wow. Like, oh, that's great. Good luck going to see other bands. Cause this is completely different, <laughs> but yeah, people do come up and say, you know, I didn't know if I would like you guys or not. And they ended up enjoying the show. And, you know, that's happened a lot over the years. And, you know, the best way to recruit new fans, in my opinion, the radio's killer, obviously, but we don't really get radio coverage. So our format is to have it be a referral from another friend. You know, so if you were to tell Jesse, Matt, oh, man, you got to come see Seal Panther. They're great. They're so fun. You're going to dig it, right? Jesse would probably go, all right, I dig Matt. He's got a good opinion. I'll go see it. That's the best referral for a band is from word of mouth yeah yeah word of mouth somebody that you can trust and you know and putting on a killer live show you know that's the one thing that you know in this day and age it just you live or die by it i think if you're a rock and roll band like that live show is pretty much all you've got to convert people to what you do you know obviously killer songs are a big part of it but if you can't deliver those songs the way they sound on record live in an entertaining and you know visceral way then you ain't going to make it. You ain't going to last, are you? Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. You, I, one of the things that really we pride ourselves on is sounding like the record. You know, no tuning down. If I can't hit a note, if my plan is, and when I get older, if I can't hit a note, I'm going to reroute a little bit. But tuning down for me, it changes the sound of the song and it makes it different. And, you, and it sounds slower because it's lower. Mm. And I just, I, I don't know, for me, I just really enjoy to do it just like it is on the record. You know, not even really change up parts or solos or vocal lines or I fuck around with the words a lot, but I can't because I'm a singer. But, you know, it's just, I don't know, I just like it. Like when I went and saw the Scorpions uh, when I was younger, they sound just like the record. You know, the only thing we're missing were harmonies because nobody else can sing in the band. But other than that, everything sounded fuck just like the record is really cool killer and and uh hopefully you know if you're gonna play live for a living you really have to be able to perform what you're trying to sell mm. yeah and i think that you know we talk about like um bands that have uh vocal tune live or keyboard parts with no keyboard player and, and or just not even singing and just kind of like we, you know, we have that we have yeah that. but but i think i was my point was going to be it, certain types of bands can sort of get away with that, I think, where other types of bands who claim to be true, this, true, that, or it, it the lines get blurred there. Cause we've, we've been on tour with bands that, you know, I can't tattletale uh, that are definitely putting in parts and not singing and pretending to where it's like, come on, man. You know, like if you're going to do that unabashedly do it, but especially with the vocals, that that's the one thing that really irks me is like, not singing at all. You, you can see the vocalist like, and I'm like, bullshit. <laughs> no shit. They're lip syncing. That dude, that's some, some people say we're great actors, and you can't tell I'm lip syncing. I don't sing a note on stage. <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking amazing, dude. <laughs> but that's so, the thing. But you've got you've got bands that are out there talking uh, shit about bands like that that are doing it, is what I'm saying too, though. Yeah, well, you know what, dude? There's always gonna be somebody talking shit about any band that you're in that's just the way life is you yeah, know but it's great though because you need the this and this to make 
shit happened, you know? Some somebody, you know, I see people getting in arguments over Steel Panther online about, oh, they're a fake parody band. They're stupid. How could you even like them? And then the other person responds to how they feel about Steel Panther. And it's just, you can't win with an opinion. No, yeah, you're right. You like something or you don't. It's like people with sushi in LA. If someone really likes sushi, like, do you like sushi, dude? I know the best sushi place in the world. No, dude, I don't eat fish. I don't like sushi. You're crazy. You got to try this place. You'll love this sushi. Like, dude, I don't like sushi. You're not going to change my mind. There's no way around it. You know what I mean? So if somebody does not like Steel Panther, that's fine. Yeah. There's plenty of other people that do, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way life works. Yeah, the old saying, opinions are like assholes. We all have them. Everybody's got one. It's so true. Where where did you first start out? Was it in Hollywood? Was it in Vegas? Was it all over California? Like where were the early when when you were called Metal School? Was it Metal Shop first? We were called Metal Shop first, and we started in Vegas. Our first live show was in Vegas, and we played every Tuesday night at this club called The Drink, and there was probably twenty people there, maybe every week. We did it for like four or five months, and. Uh, so that was the first weekly show that we did. And we basically uh, got ended up getting canceled because no one came really. So, uh, and we did it on the shittiest night possible in Vegas. Tuesday is like the worst night, you know, Monday being second for the worst night of the week. And, uh, and then after that, we started doing, we did a Christmas party for the company that we worked for. And then we did, uh, Satchel got us a gig at the Viper Room like early 95 and we went there and we uh it was a monday night which by the way hollywood was a dead scene at that point monday was like a death sentence seriously is like, that could like, grunge in the seattle scene had ripped the heart out of la is that what had yeah, happened yeah. yeah and that's one of the reasons why we, we were like we're gonna bring heavy metal back you know that's why we came up with that mantra because that, that's, that's a ballsy thing to do around that time that's that's incredible to think about you know it, it, people would see that as like career suicide like what are you doing but yeah. i love it well, because it it just goes to show you the, the it's a testament to not only that you guys are doing the right thing but like people still give a shit about that kind of music like i do you know i i didn't stop loving uh guns and roses and um rat and you know, Skid Row, just because Seattle came along, I didn't stop loving it. So there Same was a void to be filled. There was a void to be filled. Yeah, uh, I remember we played the Viper Room, and the promoter, his name was Josh, and uh, he was the guy that was hired by the venue to bring stars to the shows. That was his gig. He was the MC, and he also would bring like he was friendly with like Keanu Reeves and other actors and shit. And he would get people at the show to create excitement for other regular non-actors or stars to come to the show. So he was trying to get this like hip crowd to our show. And when we started playing, we had a fence in front of us, right? At the Viper Room. And people would throw shit at us. What, you had like a chicken wire thing like in Blues Brothers? <laughs> exactly, yeah. It was just a chain link fence in the front. And uh, they had a... a, a what do you call it? Oh, wet t-shirt contest. Remember those things? Oh my God. So yeah, they've had the wet t-shirt contest at about midnight. And that would last till about 1230. And then we'd go on like one o'clock and play till two. And we did that every Monday night. And 
people would fucking throw shit at us. And then slowly but surely, all these like, I don't want to say hipsters because that's really kind of boxing people in. But, you know, there's a crowd that really didn't dig what we were doing. They kind of filtered out. And then we started getting people that really like yourself, Jesse, like loved heavy metal. And they started coming. And and then we really, the Viper Room was the beginning for us. You know, we did the, did that for about six months. And I, and I remember prior to, to doing it for that long, we're like on our second week, right? And this was not supposed to be a weekly gig. This was just like he booked two shows and that was going to be it. And Satchel just got on stage. And at the end of the show, he said, hey, how many people want to hear one more song? And everyone's like, yeah. And he goes, come back next week. And then we Amazing. laughed. Right? And I, I thought that was brilliant because the pro was like, what did you do that for, man? So he put us back in and we played. And anyways, we started doing that. And then we did that for like six months straight and it started selling out and all that shit. And then we booked a commercial for Discover Card. And we played this fictitious band called Danger Kitty. And uh, and then we decided to change the name of uh, Metal Shop to Danger Kitty. We started doing a bunch of corporate shit from the commercial. And then we went back and became Metal Shop again. And we literally played the Viper Room for about seven years every Monday night. Wow. Which is unfathomable now for a band to do that. Like the work ethic, the the perseverance. Are you doing it with a view to try and become this, you know, band that goes and plays download and tours Europe? And or are you just no, doing it as like no. an escape from your regular jobs for fun and like what what's the kind of the incentive and the drive for seven years to keep playing week in, week out? Just the love of music or Well, I think it's a combination of both. First of all, you know, I quit my job in ninety six. I was working at a record label. And I quit it because we had gotten enough gigs to support myself. And that was such an accomplishment to quit your day job. That's a huge accomplish, accomplishment for any musician. So we quit our day jobs. We started doing the band and we started generating money and a following. And to us at that time, that felt like we just got signed and sold a million records. You know, I had more money than I've ever had from singing. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge accomplishment for myself personally. And the other guys I'm sure felt the same way. And, you know, we just kind of like kept doing it and it kind of started building. We had this buzz about us going on and that just kind of fueled us just to keep doing it. And it was really fun. And then on the side, we were talking to movie producers and TV executives and trying to get a show about the band and all that shit. And there was always something, another carrot to grab for, you know, and it wasn't until we were signed that we realized that there was the festival world for us to even penetrate. We had no idea. We were just on the Sunset Strip making loads of cash, being stoked that we're selling out. You know, we, we were at the Viper Room for that amount of time. Then we went to the Roxy and then we went to the Key Club, which held like, I think it was like 900 people, which is huge for Hollywood. Week in, week and, out as well, man. Yeah, yeah and we started selling that out. We were making more money than ever. And then we had a show in Vegas every Friday and Saturday a show in San Diego on Wednesday and we were killing the game. So uh, it makes it really easy to want to keep jamming when you're, you know, you're making more money, you're building a following and you're doing something. Now, obviously deep down inside, we're a cover band yeah. and deep down inside, we would like to be able to express ourselves musically on our own with our own music. And once I think Satchel and I decided uh, to, revisit death all but metal and then we had a, a gig out in phoenix and we we're driving in the car and 
and I was talking to him about this idea I had for a ballad called Stripper Girl. And I sang in the chorus. He's like, that's cool. And then he got his guitar. I'm driving and he just started jamming and he wrote most, he wrote like the first verse and the second verse, like in 20 minutes. And I'm not saying that to have you go, Oh my God, what a genius. He was just quick writer way faster than me. You know, I had the chorus. He's like, Oh dude, I don't know about the chorus. I'm like, dude, we're sticking with my chorus. And, uh, but he, he just, he made it killer, you know, and we just started writing at that point. And, uh, I would go home to my house, write songs. He would go home to his house and write songs. It would take me maybe four weeks to write a song. It took him a day to write a song. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is this is going to be, I can't keep up with this guy. And he just kept writing and writing and writing. And we're like, all right, let's go record him. So we went, we took our money that we were making on our own and we recorded our own music at a studio. Wow. And Dude, that's hustle. Not- I love that. And you use your own money from gigging. Like this is a self-sufficient machine, man. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, from the beginning, we realized that a label was not going to sign us. Mm. We're like, there's no way a label is going to sign us. So let's just do it ourselves. And we did. Punk rock, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we went right. independent, bro. Yeah. <laughs> well, I also think too, I, I've got to assume, you know, you're playing covers, you've got your chops, your live chops are up, you're, your playing chops are up. So transitioning into writing your own material would be a little easier because you've been embodying these types of songs. But I'm assuming you've got this career as a cover band. You're starting to do originals. What's going through your mind at that point? There's got to be a little of like hesitation of like, why fuck up a good thing, right? Is there a part of that going on behind the no, scenes? Uh, not yet, but I understand what you're asking completely. Yeah, because it sounds like really, you've got a sweet setup, you know, you're doing better than you ever have. And then, yeah, like, dude, we don't want to fuck this up, right? You know, we all were buying shit and we had responsibilities now because we, when you get money and you start buying shit, then you got to keep making the money to pay for the shit you bought, right? Yeah. So when we got signed by Universal Republic, that was the turning point for us, Jesse, which what, what I think you're referring to. It's like we still had our weekly shows, we're making ki- a killer living. And I remember the record's done, it's mastered, it's ready to come out. The label sends over some tour dates for the UK. And we're looking at them, all this press, all this stuff. And we're like, cool, how much does it pay? They're like, nothing. Like, what? (laughs) Like, nothing. It's an investment for yourself. So you can either go do it or not. But I suggest you do it. So we had a power. We sat down and we said, all right, I guess we got to pay for it ourselves. So we saved up some money. And we paid for everything ourselves, went out and did the shows. And oh God, Jet, I forgot to tell you this, dude. When we got signed, we had to cut off a couple cover bands that we were all in. So yeah, you're that that happened. That crossroads happened a couple times for us. Because we got signed and we thought, okay, are you gonna keep doing the atomic punks or we're gonna put all our eggs in one basket and go for it? And that's at the point, that's the point where we're like, okay. No more bands, Steel Panther only. Let's go for it and see if we can make this a big thing. Mm. And the same thing happened when we got the tour dates. We're like, oh God, I guess we have to invest in ourselves. So we invested in ourselves. And so your so your first tour was UK, Europe? Yeah, the first uh tour for Field of Steel was UK. That's a good place to start though, man, because they got great fans for metal in general there. So I'm assuming that tour went fairly well. 
it went fa- it went so good that we were just blown away by the response we got. It was insane. And, uh, you know, we were friends with uh, the singer from Darkness, Justin. And we did the show, I think it was Club 726 or 527, I forget the name of it, in London. We played there and he got up on stage and did a thing called Love With Us. And then we did, he sang on our record too as well. He sang on a song called Party All Day. Mm. So he got and they got Corey Taylor on Death yeah. to All But Metal as well. Yeah, yeah I know about and, that one. Yeah. And M Shadows on uh, Turn Off the Lights. Pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, those cool. are dudes that just would come to our shows all the time. And I mean, Corey came to our shows in 97. He was coming to our shows every week, Sit, getting up and singing Poison with us. How about that? <laughs> yeah, he, he loves the hair metal, doesn't he, Corey? <laughs> Oh my God! He had long frizzy orange hair, and he's like, "Don't need nothing." <laughs> oh my God, dude! You I must have it. so many stories from that time. You told me a couple. Like, what are the ones which you know spring to mind and stand out? Superstars, just you know, rocking with Steel Panther before even Steel Panther is Steel Panther. God, man, it's it's hard because you know I I remember things like uh, I don't remember things in a chronological order so much. I just remember them as as moments in my life. And then I kind of try and piece them together. And I, I'm myself, Matt, I sometimes look back and think, Oh my God, what a killer time that was. Cause I was in the time, but when I look back at it and see other people's perspective of that, of that time, it was such a decadent killer period in our life. And so many stars would come out. I remember Quentin Tarantino came out and mm. he's, He's watching us and I'm like, oh my God, that's Quentin Tarantino, right? And I'm like, get up here and sing. He's like, no. I go, <laughs> I go and, and I would be honest with people. I go, please just get on stage with us so we can get the press, you know, because it will really help our band. Which and I'm sure the up. crowd loves that. Yeah, and he, he got up and he's just standing there. And we, I think we played a, a metal song. I forget what we played, but he's just standing there. And, and uh, you know, there's number of football players that would get up and I'm talking about NFL American football players, you know, the popular, popular ones. There's this guy, his name's Aaron Rodgers. He played for, he plays for the green Bay Packers. He got up with another quarterback named Carson Wentz, who was uh, played with the Cincinnati Bengals. So at the time, these two were like top notch and they both got up and saying, uh, don't stop believing with us. Nice. And you know, I know that's for everybody out there listening to this. American football is not all over the world, but I mean, it is, but not as popular as a movie star. Uh, you know, but we, you know, I sang with. Uh, oh, my God. What's that chick's name that used to date Tony Romo? Oh, Ashley Simpson or Jessica Simpson. Remember her? Yeah, of course. Remember her? So she yeah. got up, not only her, but her her sister got up and sang with us, Ashley Simpson. And this is right after she was on Saturday Night Live. And oh, yeah. It went all crazy and stuff. So that was a really fun time for us. And then, you know, we've also had a lot of stars get up and jam with us and that end up end up that being their last show. Oh, wow. Life, period. Like one of them was uh, Mike Starr from Allison Chains. You know, he got up with us. And two weeks after that, he was gone. Wow. Uh, Scott Weiland, kind of the same thing there. Um Rev from Avenged Sevenfold play with us, and I don't know. Maybe bands shouldn't get up and play with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It's wild uh, though, man, because you must have got to a point where you know you're playing Motley Crue songs and there's members of Motley Crue in the crowd and maybe they're coming up and jamming with you and you know there's genuine Hollywood rock royalty because I know what happens in that town. Those people go to those clubs, don't they? Like yeah. I came, I came to see you guys at the House of Blues in 2013, I think it was, or 12. My first ever gig in LA. I went with Jarrett from Bowling for Soup, and um, that Matt Sorum was there. I remember seeing him. I remember like Ricky Rackman. Like all these people were just there at the gig, and it was like a who's who of Hollywood. Yeah, that's fun. We love that too. Like we had a. A stage manager who would come, he had a radio, he'd wear a suit, his hair short and gray, and he looked like like a CIA agent, you know, and he'd be like, All right, we got uh Tom Kiefer's in the audience. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Where's Tom Kiefer at? Tom, get up here and sing, you know, because you can't see everybody. Yeah, or they'd be hiding up in the I remember one time I got this Tommy Leaser. I'm like, oh fuck, Tommy Leaser, where is he? And I'm looking, and you know, I'm singing while I'm looking. And I find him, and he's like in a booth behind a, a pillar at the House of Blues. And I go, "Stop song, Satchel, Tommy Lee's here." He's like, "Holy shit, Tommy Lee's here! We fucking love you, Tommy. Get on stage!" And at this point, Tommy Lee fucking hated us. <laughs> um, it was uh, it, this was after we played with them in, with Def uh, Leppard. Yeah. Dude, and they were so pissed that you were on that bill. I interviewed Nikki Six on that tour, and he was just like, who are these guys? Why are they playing with us? Like, I could see he was visibly angry about it. I remember that, dude. And and he would not get up and jam with us. He actually bowed down like this and went out to the venue. Damn. And this guy has jammed with us like three or four times. Before this point. Before was, this point. Yeah. Yeah. He brought Pamela down. At the Key Club, uh, was December show, and I met him out in the back back of the parking lot. He's like, "Hey, dude, I got Pamela with me. She's got a, a Miss Santa suit. It's fucking hot, bro." I go, "That's cool, dude." He goes, Can, "How about we? I get up, I'll jam, girls, 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 and she'll dance on the pole." I'm like, inside, I'm like, "Holy shit, this is fucking <laughs> awesome!" I'm like, "Yeah, that's cool, bro. Let's do it." <laughs> and then you know, he's she's on stage. She's fucking still hot as fuck and i'm like looking at her while we're playing i'm just checking her out like damn and then i look over and tommy's like he's glaring <laughs> at me dude he's he's just a fucking jealous dude i guess i don't know but anyway well, if, if you were with pamela well, anderson how are you how if you were with pamela anderson i'd be jealous you know you because you'd be like you know that everybody's looking at her because it's pamela yeah, anderson. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> how, how are you with all those guys now you on good terms I don't know. I haven't really talked to him anymore. Like, not at all. I mean, I, I talked to Nikki Six during that tour. Yeah. Uh, and he was like, hey, man, he brought me to his dressing room. He goes, I just want you to know that there's no hard feelings, bro. It's just I really wanted 6 a.m. to open because we have a new record coming out. And I didn't know who you guys were. And so, bro, like, here's my email. If you ever want to chat, you know, I'm like, all right, cool. And I walked out and I was like, holy shit, I was just in Nikki Six's dressing room talking to him. That that was cool for me. I was stoked. Yeah. And I'm walking down the, the aisleway at Wembley Arena and there's Joe L.A. just chilling out. Hey, Michael, I got an idea for a song for you, mate. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. This I remember is that tour fondly. It was amazing. It was it was cool. Here, I'll tell you a really just quick funny story about that. But 
we were so stoked to do that tour. We got, we were really well received for an opening band for an arena tour. It was really great for us. And then we just get word, hey, you guys got an opening gig for Guns N' Roses at the Forum when you get home. Holy shit. And we're still waiting to hear back on that TV show from uh, Netflix. Awesome. We land in LA. We all check our phones. Netflix passed. Oh, man. Or was it Netflix? No, Comedy Central. Comedy Central passed. Like, oh, man. We were so bummed. And then we, you know, take our cars to the Forum. And we get there. And we get ready to do sound check, and we're like told that we cannot do sound check. I'm like, why? We're at the forum. We need to do sound check. He said, Axel's sleeping. He shut down the whole forum. I'm like, wow, that's so heavy metal. <laughs> Take a nap and tell everyone to shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then when we got out and played in front of them, we just, you know, did the UK. It was really well, well received. And we're in our hometown. We're like, this is killer. And we start jamming. And people are like, they did not like us. They were just like, guns and roses, guns and roses. It was the most uncomfortable gig ever. Jesse went out with Iron Maiden, and he had some pretty tough crowds out on that run. So you know what it's like, dude. Yeah, see, yeah, on those nights where it's like a little uncomfortable, uh, especially at first, um, you kind of just have to go inward, you know? And I think I would just turn and look at my boys on stage and be like, you know, at the end of the day, I'm on stage opening for Iron Maiden, so... It's okay if uh, the first section of people that I can see in this massive arena are not super stoked on us. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. You know, when we did that, it's like those people in the front row paid a lot of money to see yeah. their favorite band. And then that's they the got problem those types of gigs, man. It's like you've got the diehards right there. Just like get out of the way. Who the, who the fuck is this man? Get out of here. <laughs> but, you know, nothing, nothing brings a band together more than uh, that type of, you know, dilemma, really, because. Like you're saying, you have to turn inward to your bandmates and connect with them and just enjoy playing with them. And that's one of the things we do, too, as well. Like if, if we're playing in front of a tough crowd that just really isn't responding, we just always have to remember that we have to have fun together. Because yeah. fun, watching people have fun is infectious. That's why people fucking sit on Instagram forever watching stupid funny videos. It's fun to watch. So that, that works really well, too, as well. You just nailed it on the head, dude. I think that's really what it is, because that's the nights we would win people over when we started having fun. And you could see people, if they weren't totally into it, their facial expression would change after five or six songs. They might start nodding their head because they're it's infectious. That's totally spot on. Yeah, another thing we, we would do is Satchel would always just say shit like, hey, uh, Guns N' Roses hired us to open up and warm the crowd up right so we immediately put ourselves in our place where we should be yeah. and it says you know if we get this crowd riled up they said they give us an extra pack extra six pack of diet coke yeah. <laughs> you know people can relate to that you know it's it's it just brings you down to the level where you're at because some people when you're opening up sometimes you just you want to fucking win everybody over and be the yeah. big you know and that's not really for us for us let me just say that for us we need to go out there and have some self deprivation, you know, because people are already judging us from the gate. So yeah. we have to really just like, let them know, Hey, we're stoked to be here. And we know we're not the headliner. We're just going to rock your balls. Cause we were told to. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's about keeping your ego in check too. You know, at the end of the day, you know, cause we've played festivals over in Europe with like death metal bands, like incredible death metal bands, like carcass and, and like just awesome bands. And the fans are there for those bands. And we're playing earlier in the day and it's just this. 
I think in Italy, I remember Italy one show. And it was like, I was sweating. I'm like, how do I get through this? And I just was like, hey, this is my job. At the end of the day, this is what I do. I know. Don't you hate, I hate referring to that, our work as a job. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, fuck yeah, it is, it is a job. If you were going to, you know, describe it, it wouldn't be called a job. But for me, it's more like a holiday, you know, because I, you know, it's, it's, I don't know if you've ever gone on vacation, but I'm sure you have, but you know, you go on vacation. It's like, oh, this is the best vacation ever. I'm sitting out, you know. And then when you get home, you're like, fucking, so hungover from the vacation because it's a lot of work. We don't call a vacation a job, right? Yeah, yeah, so I just yeah. feel like this is just the best fucking vacation in the world. Like I really, I woke up this morning and I just really felt fucking stoked. You know, I mean, I'm writing music at home. I'm fucking, you know, we just last night we did a Zoom you know, with a band just so we could just stay connected. Cause we're used to being together so much yeah. that we get home with everyone separates and we need to stay connected, you know, cause we have shit to do. And, and, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things I, I would take out of this, this whole seal Panther legacy for me is we're friends and we all care about each other. And we still argue like husband and wives, we still have disagreements but at the end of the day, they're just disagreements. Yeah. And then you move on. You know, we've learned how to communicate. I mean, Satchel and I used to go head to head physically, like backstage, fucking fighting. And like, remember one time we were in Phoenix and I was sitting there doing my makeup and, he, and we were fucking arguing and he just started punching me. Like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. I'm like, fuck, dude, chill out, man. That fucking hurt. You know, and then another time in San Diego, I have him against the wall like, you know and um so you know we we've had to really the most important thing at the end of the day is that we love each other and we're we're in this together and we're aligned and we have the same fucking goal we want to be the biggest band in the world and we'll do it i wanted we're to ask you about your friendship with satchel because you two for me it's really interesting watching the way you are on stage because he is so out of the ballpark with his confidence like he might be the most confident man in music uh, he is just so self-assured and he's just a fucking a peacock when he's out on stage isn't he and traditionally throughout the history of music that is the battle that you have if it's the front man and the lead guitarist fighting for the limelight but what yep. i re what i really noticed with you and i'd love you to shed some light as well as on your friendship and relationship with satchel on your thoughts on ego as well because for me you don't seem to have an ego you're allowed when you're not allowed to, you're able to put your ego aside and let Satchel shine and be the guy. And you just kind That's of like, funny. and you just kind of float to the side and you do your thing too. And it, you don't seem to clash on stage, but I oh, might we, be. We, no, you're, you're totally right. I, about us not clashing on stage, as far as the ego being in check and having humility, mm, that's stretching it. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's no, what I saw, man. I feel like you're you're really able to just allow him to be him, and you don't you don't feel threatened by that because you're like yeah. the dude's my fucking lead guitarist. Together we're stronger. Like it's not a case of you being threatened by it. It's like fuck this dude's. It was like that. It was like that in the beginning, a lot. That's what but we would fight about. It took work like, to get there, did it? Oh my god, dude! I'm like, I'm the singer, dude. Shut the fuck up, dude! I'm trying <laughs> to talk to the crowd, and you keep fucking interrupting me, right? So we I can, I can relate to that actually a little bit. <laughs> I'm gonna you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, shut up. 
<laughs> I do. I know what I'm going to say. Quit fucking interrupting me, you know? Um, but no, we've, you know, after we started touring a lot, um, you know, the beginning, we were still, uh, the beginning of the touring for Field of Steel, we were still butting heads about the talking stuff. And as the tour started going on and we started doing morning radio and, you know, all the grind, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, God, I, I can't even fucking talk. I'm so grateful he talks, you know, because I need to save my voice for singing. Mm-hmm. And then I would always think about Cheap Trick, how the lead singer never said a fucking word. Rick Nelson, the guitar player, did all the talking and they were a great band and they were hugely successful. So at that point, I was like, wow, yes. man, I'm so lucky that this guy can fucking rap as good as he can rap because I don't have to worry about shit. I can just turn around, drink some water. And then I started doing that. He's like, dude, you could talk a little bit. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> you know, it's just like a fucking, we're just like, okay, okay. You can't do I, you know, I, I did the complete opposite, Jesse. I just disconnected completely, you know? No, dude, what you said is so fucking spot on including cheap trick the uh, cheap trick analogy 100 because when i first rejoined kill switch it was it was a lot it was like i wasn't used to being on stage with a guitar player who was just so vocal and like had jokes and like you know a song that would mean a lot to me and i like, would connect with the audience and i'd go to talk and he would like burp in the mic and like start talking shit and at first it was hard for me it was like my little ego was hurt i was like i'm trying to do my thing man but the brilliance of having somebody who can do that while you go get a drink and you just chill. Yeah. Like, yeah I do spot on. That's so funny. And yeah, now dude, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pissed. grateful. I'm yeah. real. I am Matt. Cause he's like you were saying, Matt, he's a, uh, he's a peacock. And you know, I, you know, you were saying that like um, for me, I sometimes feel that way, but I'm, I'm not always feeling that way i feel like i need to go earn it every time for some reason you know out of the gate he just he just does that and it, i'm so grateful for that because i'm not built that way i'm built like oh, i gotta make sure they fucking dig us you know and and uh so you know i don't i don't i think humility if you're talking about humility i think that's something that's beaten into a person through pain and misery so the pain i was having was you know struggling with my ego wanting to be the center of attention and then when i finally took a step back and realized fuck man we're all the center of attention yeah you no know? this is a, a show it's not just about me anymore because in the other bands it was about the singer it usually always is right but in this band it's not you know it's more about the front it's everybody everyone's involved so i think that's really really important and now you know we've been through so many fights and so many different kinds of gigs playing in heat not playing in heat playing in direct sunlight no air conditioning no fucking you know tracks no kick drum breaks anything you could think of has happened to us and so now we're pretty we're pretty road tested and we can go play anywhere anytime no matter how much sleep we're on i reckon i reckon you guys could crush any crowd anywhere like i've seen you do it time and time again it's amazing to witness it really is i love the way as well like there's a few bands i know that do this but sticks they have the drummer with the mic 
so he can kind of direct the show a little bit you know so you and satchel are entertaining and and you know shining and being what you what you do and then sticks is kind of eagle eye in the background keeping an eye on everything like updating you like oh maybe move on from this bit let's start another tune now we're losing them like stop talking like little things like that like team yeah but but satchel doesn't have him in his ear (laughs) only i have it in my ear right like dude wrap it up i'm like oh okay how am i gonna do this because you know once satchel starts going He's kind of like a snowball. He just it just keeps going, and uh, so I have to try clever ways to, you know, he's he's aware of time, but when he gets into a bit, sometimes you know the bit carries on, and he's back there going, "Dude, you gotta wrap it up. We only have so much time," you know, like a festival or whatever. And so I'll have to figure out a way to to just reel him in and let him know what I'm doing. At first, it was like, "What the fuck are you doing, man? You're fucking up my bit," you know. And then after a while, it's like we have code for when it's a time wrap, when I'm trying to wrap up for time. Yeah. And uh, so anyways, and there's also things when like Styx's shit fucks up. We know that we don't have to worry about it. As long as Satchel's guitar is fine, we could all go back there, have a beer. He could change a head on the drum and he'll just keep talking. Yeah. And keep yeah, yeah, yeah. The crowd. He's fucking brilliant at it, man. Well, yeah, what you, you gotta... go ahead. No, you're gonna, gonna, you're, gonna, you're gonna play to your strengths. That's it. That's what I was. Go, go, go Matt. Ready? Go. What, what you guys have dialed in is the perfect mix of scripted bits, you know, that are like rehearsed and tried and tested, and then the ability to just completely improvise on the spot. And you walk that line so well because you know there's some bands that have no structure and all they do is kind of improvise and bullshit and make stuff up on the spot, and it's not actually that funny. Because, you know, there's not a tightness or like a sharpness there. Or it's the other way and it's just clearly the same old lines time and time again. You guys have the perfect middle ground of those two approaches where, you know, I've seen you do like the similar sort of bit, like the Aussie bit, for instance. You know, it's a part of the show like any band has, you know, where it's just, oh, we know that's going to be what that is. But within these moments, there's all these bits that are so spontaneous and off the cuff as well. You never know what you're going to get. You never know what you're going to get. That was a fun tour we did. It was so much fun, dude. That was, five, that was a blast. five years. It seems like a lot. Like I guess because of COVID, it seems like a Wait, lot longer. That's but five years ago to 2017. Yeah. Wow. God, time flies. That's crazy. Yeah. But I will oh, say man. this: I've toured with every type of band, like hip hop, ska, punk, metal, rock. You guys, I'd say you, along with Zach Wild, treated me better than anybody has ever treated me. Like. You know, you made me feel really like part of the team. You gave me full, you know, reign of the stage. You gave me the fucking, you know, monitors as loud as I wanted them. Like, it's funny how even with a DJ, the bands will be like, we've got to keep the DJ quiet. Oh, it's my like, God. I'm Man, a DJ. I'm not a threat. <laughs> I fucking, I don't know, Jesse, you probably agree with this. I just think that's fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. To limit an opening band with lights and sound and stage, that's just, it's like you're cutting your own nose up spite your face you know what i mean if you want your crowd to be entertained and have a great night let the opening band be their best have have everything they need you know i mean obviously we have to set up our drums and have to work around that but fuck man it's just like why would you take that away from your opening band it just doesn't make sense to me yeah especially the decibel thing i didn't i've never oh dude what is that keep the get the party started and keep it going that's the whole idea right i mean especially if you get a dj like come on there's there, like matt said there's no threat there it's so funny yeah well there, we do have a db limit we don't want them to go over 
what we would do. Oh yeah, you know? no, that makes sense. Because that, that would probably hurt people's ears, you know. Yes. You know, fans I'm like to tell like, hey, don't go too crazy. Yeah, I'm talking about tours that I've done where I know the DB has been lowered. For then. you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And oh, like, dude, I, I can tell that right away too. I'm like, this does not feel good, and the crowd's nah. not moving. They normally move. This fuck. What are we at? Fucking eighty nine or something? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. That's so lame. I don't get it. Yeah, I'm glad you. I, I'm glad you're. You know, I, we can talk about this because you, you, uh, you know, you experience the exact same things that we've experienced because you're in a touring band, so you know exactly yeah. what it's like. So, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, I know when bands do that to us, and I I really don't care, but I just feel like we're trying to to create a genre back into society mm. in a sense, you know, I don't even know if I said that correctly, but what I'm trying to say is we've been trying to bring heavy metal back. Why would we take a heavy metal band that's going on before us and cut their volume in their lights? Yeah. It just doesn't, it's counterproductive. It's the antithesis of what heavy metal is supposed to be period. Right. It's a fucking party, yeah. dude. No, but I, you know, I want to go back to this cause I just want to touch on this again. Cause I, it's so relatable for me. Um, and I love what you said at the hey. end of Hey, really quick, I'm going to turn on my air and you let me know if it's too loud, okay? Right on, brother. Yeah, I have a fan going too. It's I'm hot too. It's hot. At, my mom's garage is always so hot. <laughs> <laughs> you think I'm kidding, don't you? <laughs> like I said, man, I never know where the reality starts and the, the myth ends. <laughs> yeah, is it too loud? No, I can't hear it at all. Really? Silent. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, so I wanted to go back to this one point because I thought it. Would, I thought I think it's important to say again, and I love the, the humility behind it. At the end of the day, the band is everybody, right? But I don't even think it's just the band. My big realization, um, you know, getting back into the swing of things the past 12, 13 years, whatever, however long it's been, um, being full time on the road again, it, it's not just the band, but it's the audience too. Like when you realize that the show itself, the band needs to put on the best thing they can and then the energy you get back from the audience the big picture of everything it's not about the one guy and you know they call it the lead singer syndrome and it's hard not to get caught up in that when like you pour your heart out there and you're like you're doing your best and you want to put on a good show but the humility and and the realization that you had is something that i had to go through as well where you realize it's about us it's about the yeah. band presenting itself firing on all cylinders everyone playing to their strengths and then next up in line or maybe even before that would be the interaction you get with the audience because those shows that you know we can play a small club and we've done this where we put out a record and did a slew of six shows in new york city and small clubs versus you know going big and those shows were so incredible because of the audience because the feedback we got so yeah, it really just kind of it depends on so many factors but the overall thing you're saying that i love is really it's about all you guys man it's not just the lead singer doing his thing you know i know what your strength it's the best it's the best for us it's the best way for us to work as a band you know just everyone is like one pillar of the foundation you know and we all support the foundation you know yeah. that that's one thing about being aligned that we learned the hard way through fighting is that we all weren't aligned we all didn't have the same goal you know, yes, the same blanket goal was, oh, we all want to be the biggest man in the world. That's cool. But how are we going to achieve that? What What is the next goal? We need to get aligned on each set of goals 
so we can work together in unison to reach those goals. And once we align ourselves, we got signed. Like, I'm not even joking. We got signed like seven months later after we all got aligned. We got signed. We got rid of our manager. And things just started happening for us. You know, and to this day, we still have to stay aligned. We still have to be on the same trajectory and gunning for the exact same goal. Because if we're not, then it's just we're we're not a team. You know, it's, well, it's, it's at really, the end of the day, it's a relationship, right? At the end of the day, it's a relationship. Yeah, man. It's, a, it's like I got three wives, you know, <laughs> or husbands, whichever one, you know, whatever. <laughs> As, as much as you want to get into it or can say, I mean, because I'm imagining it was the four of you guys from day one up until really recently. And Lexi, your basis was obviously such a key part of, your, you know, you're talking about the foundations. That's one key pillar right there. One of those front three that's so, you know, recognizable and such a key part of the overall chemistry. How do you pick up the pieces and move forward when he decides he doesn't want to play with you anymore? It was that a really tough time. Uh, well, picking up the pieces has been tough. Yeah. Having him leave was really, really fucking hard, man. It's, I still miss him a lot. You know, I love the guy. <clears throat> I've been talking to him and I, I was able to actually meet up with him and see his wife and his new baby in Poland. And, uh, he's doing really well. He's happy and, uh, fuck yeah, man. I miss him a lot. And ironically enough, he was the guy who suggested we get a life coach for the band who helped us get aligned and get where we're at. And, you know, so the, you know, the search for a bass player has been the most difficult thing we've ever done. It's, you know, it's just, uh, we're, we're old now, you know, we're set in our ways. And Jesse, like we were talking about that chemistry between bands that you develop and nurture over these years and grow and fucking grind out those dates and fucking tours together. There's something to be said about all that work and somebody that comes in that is like, yeah, I want to be in your band. Cool. All right. So uh, am I, we fly first class, right? You know, that kind of shit. Like, dude, you know, you got to fucking earn your stripes, man. We don't even fly first class. You know what I mean? Right. Premium economies as high as we go. And that's fucking <laughs> luxury for us. Yeah. Same. But you know, it's it's just been really difficult finding the right fit. It's kind of like being on Tinder. You know, you see a super hot chick, you're like, oh, this chick's perfect. You fucking meet up with her or just chat with her and you realize, oh, this chick's a fucking no. <laughs> Jesse, I said to them they should have asked David Ellison from Megadeth. How genius would that have been? Oh my God, yeah. The guy who got caught jerking off. I was like, Steel Panther's the perfect guy <laughs> for him. <laughs> he so almost funny. did it. He almost did it. <laughs> he almost, David and I are pretty close friends. And, and uh, I was talking to him, and I, you know, we're talking about the bass player thing. And I'm like, oh man, I just don't know what we're going to do. We had this guy, and it didn't work out. And now we're going to Europe. He's like, well, man, if I can help you out, I'll do it. I'm like, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. And then a couple of days later, he's like, ah, man, I was listening to all the music. I don't, I don't, I don't think, I just don't think it's the right timing for me to do it because I don't know about the backlash I'm going to get. I don't want to freak my wife out and all the girls and shit. I just, I don't know. And I'm like, dude, I get it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And, uh, but he's, he's been very instrumental in, in helping us you know, sift through people and look for people. Awesome. And, 
you know, and so, so is the internet. I mean, we've gotten, I don't think you, I don't know if I've told you this map, but we, we got like 550 video submissions. And I would say that probably 30% of them are all people going, I can't play bass, but I can learn. And I really want to be in the band. And then, you know, the next ones would be like, you know, they can't play, but they think they can play. And then there's other ones where they can't play, but they're playing on a six string bass and they don't really understand that it's heavy metal. And do you know what I'm saying? They're, well, they did it with Velvet Revolver, didn't they? And if you think about how long it took them to get Scott, like they, everybody in town was auditioned for that band, and that's just the ones we know about. And, and they right. did a similar thing. They did a, you know, a competition where enter your video, and I think they opened it up, and similar deal, like hundreds of people. And it's just such, I mean, I know that you know, Lexi isn't necessarily going to be as hard to find a new version of as Scott Weiland, but you know, he is because he's part of the DNA of this band, isn't he? And they're huge, yeah, huge shoes to fill. He's part of the foot, footprint of Steel Panther, you know, and the legacy of Steel Panther. You know, we all together got Steel Panther where we are now. Mm. And not to have him enjoying the fruits of our labor, it just seems like for me, I, I don't think I would do what he did. I wouldn't quit because I don't know. I still, I guess I still want to keep rocking. And he was at a point where he was like, he saved all his money. He's like, I want to have a family and I want to have a wife and I want to be home. And then he got used to it during the pandemic. And then it's just, that's just what it is. So that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I respect his decision and I love him and he'll always be my friend. And, uh, but that means we need to move on. So, you know, the bass player search has been really tough. We we're trying out one more guy, um, on these next shows that we're doing. And, uh, then we're, probably going to be making a decision after that and letting everybody know what's up. Mm. But it's been tough. It's been fucking over a year and three months, I think. It's, it's been a while. And, well, you know, we so tried much... out... Go ahead. I was going to say, it's so much more than just being able to play the songs, though. To be able to, like, jive with somebody, travel with somebody, to be by their side constantly on tour. Like, you don't really get much private space, so that person's got to be cool. you got to be able to hang out and, like, roll with the punches man that's that's, that's, that's what i was hard. saying just that's what i was saying about being old we're like fuck that we want to be we want to be comfortable yeah you know i don't, I don't want to be like bummed out having to hang out with somebody that's a great bass player that i don't yeah. like fuck exactly. that you know yeah. i'd rather think a mediocre guy that's my bro you know yeah i don't know how bands do that because i do know there are some bands that don't get along at all and they tour together and i'm like ah, that's hard that's gonna be i don't want hard. that no. There's no, there's no reason. That's no fun. That's not a holiday. That's not a vacation. That's, that's a job. That's a job. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Because so, to me, know, like, we need to, we need to find a guy that is a bro to hang out with. You know, mm -hmm. there's also there's other things too. You have to be quick on the mic. You have to have some sort of uh, charisma. You know, and you also have to know how to do choreography because we do a lot of choreography. And the, you know, while I'm singing, those guys are doing a bunch of choreography behind me. So there's, there's a lot to it. And you also, we play along with the click track too as well. So you have to keep that in mind. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that go into a Steel Panther show behind the scenes that people don't really realize that's going on. So there's a lot of boxes to check and finding the right guy that checks all those boxes is not easy. Mm. Well, and, you know, for, us, for us, we're going to wait until we find the guy we like and we'll keep taking guys out 
than we need to until we find the guy we like. There's nothing wrong with that. It's been fine. Nobody's fucking freaking out. Everyone understands. And that's just the way it is right now. Yeah, I'll tell you this, man, and I really sincerely mean this from the heart, having seen you, you know, so many times over the years, that show at Hellfest was one of the best, if not the best I've ever seen from you. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's because that's anything to do with Lexi not being there. But what I will say is that you can still carry a Steel Panther show to the level that needs to be done in his absence. And until you can find that replacement, you know, there's no threat to you guys in terms of like people going, oh, the show's not the same because you were on fire that day and it was just as good as I said, if not better than any previous shows I'd seen. Thank you. Yeah, you know, Lexi was, you know, basically the bass player and drummer are, they're wingmen, basically, in a, in a, for lack of a better term, but very important one. You know, he didn't talk that much on the mic, but he is very important visually. Um, and the stuff that he did say was really funny and uh so and then sticks really doesn't really say much until he comes out and plays the keyboard and, and he's really good at that too as well but um i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> oh, dude. is that just, old age just yeah. looking at everybody's roles within the band well obviously i know sticks is very hands-on with you know the behind the scenes and the day-to-day and you know he's yeah coming. you know because you you tour with us so you know what's up he's the captain yeah, I, I literally just chill out and just go hey what are we doing next (laughs) (laughs) hey that's what that's what singers should do right that's what jesse gets to do (laughs) that's pretty much what i do too (laughs) i mean trust me if he's not available i have the ability and capacity to figure out tour master myself it's not that hard (laughs) you know if you want up-to-date information on our band you just go to our drummer and he knows every he knows it all Everybody has their role, man. Oh, as you say, it's good to I, know hey, it. And... Matt, Matt I, I remember what I wanted to say. Go on. <laughs> you know, at first, when we were trying to replace Lexi, we thought, we need to find a guy with blonde hair that's skinny and tall, right? And then we thought, no, we don't. Because you know, that person will always be compared to Lexi Fox. Yeah. Oh, never yeah. be able to break out of that. So that's why we tried this other guy, that muscly guy. And... uh People really like them too as well. And so, you know, it really doesn't matter. I just think that whoever we pick needs to be different from Lexi. You know, not the same, not even close, just completely different. His own character, his own persona. I, I shouldn't even say character, just his own persona. Yeah. Yeah, man. Hey, listen, as we approach the end, dude, this has been awesome as well. Thank you so much for for coming on the show and it's thanks great for, to... hey, thanks for having me and thanks for rescheduling the first time for me and uh i'm glad i was able to get on here and, and chat with you jesse i don't think i've yeah. ever we talked so it's cool to get to know you well next time we are on the same bill in a festival somewhere i'm gonna find you and we're gonna have a drink together or something it's gonna oh, happen that's great dude i i love I'll, I'll probably have diet coke if we're opening up for somebody yeah <laughs> yes. What's left to do, man? Do you think about legacy much? You did mention Steel Panther's legacy earlier. In terms of your own personal legacy, you've achieved and done so many amazing things. Is there anything left for you that you'd still like to do, either you know, creatively or personally or musically? Yeah, I mean, uh, we would like to headline a stadium. That would be pretty rad. Mm. Right? Is it achievable? I don't know. Can it be? You don't know unless you try for it, right? So that's the goal. Even if we only do it once. I mean, we did Wembley Arena twice. That's pretty cool, right? Uh, But I remember when we played Brixton the first time. 
that was a huge deal, you know, and it, it's just really nice to just have goals. Like it'd be cool to have a song on the radio with all the dirty words. That'd be pretty rad. <laughs> yeah. It was funny when we used to play you on Kerrang, the censored versions of the songs. They're so funny. But with a song like with a band like yours, the radio edits are so funny. I think they're as funny often because you get so creative with the censorship and the bleeps. <laughs> yeah, and then also another goal would to, you know, sell a million records. That'd be pretty rad. But, you know, we're, we're running out of time for that, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, we just finished our new record. Uh, the group of songs are really, you know, every band that puts out a record says the same shit. Oh, it's the best record we've ever done, you know. <laughs> it's not the best record we've ever done. It's a, it's a new record that's different from the other records. And it's great. Uh, I think our, our body of work speaks for itself. It's, I, I personally love our records. And... This one is stands to be one of those for me too as well. I, I just really love it. I really connect with it. Uh, it's it's about where we're at in our lives, and there's some retrospective lyrical uh, moments on a song that we have on there that's really hits home for me as a as a human. And I think it's going to resonate with people. I think people are really going to enjoy it. And if we're shoot, don't quote me, and don't hold me accountable for this but we're hoping that it comes out in the first quarter of uh fuck sorry man my phone's going off first quarter of <laughs> shut up first quarter of... this is someone in your camp saying don't announce don't announce don't <laughs> fuck it, it's satchel i swear to god dude <laughs> like don't say that no uh, first first quarter of 23 that's amazing so but we're you know we're looking forward to having some singles out too as well uh, prior to that, how do I mute that, dude? It's so funny. This is like a running theme. This is this is like the third time. This is like that stupid notification that happens to me too, and then it happened to Randy from Lamb of God. It's so funny. Oh really? Oh, dude, I just I just figured out how to put on Do Not Disturb. I forgot to do that. <laughs> I, have, I have we have a conference call to do at one thirty, but yeah. Yeah, but, please, please give my love to all the boys, man. And like, I think with a band like yours, you know, because you are so self-referential. There's a lot of scope there as you do, you know, mature in your lives and, and with your careers. There's room for, as you say, reflective, introspective, dare I say it, you know, self-analysis that can yeah. you know, be re relatable to all of us because we all go through peaks and troughs in life, don't we? And we all look back at, you know, those golden times sometimes and think like, man, are they ever coming back? But we've got to keep pushing forward and enjoying yeah, it, haven't we? We're in a golden moment right now. And Hell we're yeah. Just, just not ready for it yet. But we really are. This is right now what we're doing is killer, right? And for me, I, I just feel like, look, if you don't grow as a human being, then you just you're not growing. And I think that, you know, people that come to our shows that become fans of our band, they're growing too. So you can either grow or not grow. For me, you know, I don't want to be a fat lead singer. <laughs> Who wants to go see a fat lead singer? Not many people, you know. <laughs> So, you know, I, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, I stay in shape, you know, I want to make sure that I can still sing. So I work on it. You know, can a singer grow? Hell yeah, I can grow. Yeah. I can, I can work on my vocals when I'm home. And that's exactly what I've done. You know, I've worked on, uh, you know, trying to build up, I, I put it this way. I don't want to reroute vocal lines. I want to be able to sing until I fucking die. And I want to be able to sing good until I die. So, you know, there's other examples of, of singers that 
are doing that right now in their late 70s. And I want that. But there's only one way to get it. It's called work. Yeah. And yeah. luckily, I love my work. So, you know, to be able to work on my vocals, it's fucking great, you know, and to change, you know, do sing something different, sing something different, and I come back to sing in metal. That's cool, too, you know, because that gives me a different opportunity to learn different techniques of singing. And, you know, we did that four week run, four and a half week European run. Oh, dude, by the third week, I was like, oh, my God, I haven't sang in three, for three weeks in a row in two and a half years. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck? And then I just remember, you know, what my vocal coach said. Shut the fuck up. Don't yeah. talk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. Fuck, I can't talk. I hate that. Because I like to talk. You know? <laughs> I uh, know that well, my friend. I know that well. That was our first tour back with Slipknot after COVID. And I pff, that was tough. Right. And then I just became a hermit. I I just shut the fuck up. <laughs> That's all you can do, man. Just shut the yeah. fuck up and then you know, I just think about, okay, I have a window of 90 minutes that I need to be able to sing. And with all the talking and the guitar solo, it's whittled down to about 55 minutes, maybe. Right? So I have 55 minutes of singing to do. That's all I got to focus on. That's why I'm out here. I'm not out here to go out and talk to everybody and party and get fucking out. I'm there to be ready to sing on stage. That's the most, that's the goal. Yep. So, um, you know, I just... I would just do blow during the guitar solo because that would numb <laughs> the pain. You know what I mean? And then I'm already in it, so I'm good. Legendary. It, and here we go. There's been a breach. There it is. Dude, it is. so Every good to catch up, man. Thank you for yeah taking the time and great to connect you two. And if you need a DJ on any upcoming tours, you know where to find me. All right, dude. I love you, man. Great to meet you, Jesse. Total pleasure, my friend. Much respect. Take care, guys. Thanks for the interview. I appreciate it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.